a Martian microphone, and a close-by comet. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. The next Mars rover will have something no other Mars rover has ever had, a microphone. When the Mars Perseverance rover lands next February, scientists will get the chance to hear the red planet. But the microphone will also help scientists see what the planet is made of. We'll chat with Roger Weens, principal investigator of the Mars 2020 Supercam, about the mission. Then, the NEOWISE comet is making quite the appearance. We'll talk with our panel of expert scientists about how to see this cosmic phenomenon with just a set of binoculars and why scientists get excited by a comet's gas trail. That's ahead, but first, let's take a look at the latest space news stories making headlines. SpaceX successfully caught the two halves of its Falcon 9 rocket nose cone after launching a South Korean military satellite from Cape Canaveral this week. The nose cone, also called a fairing, protects the rocket's payload during the first few minutes of flight. Once the rocket reaches a certain altitude, the fairing halves are blown off. Before SpaceX, these fairings were discarded. Now the rocket company is trying to reuse most parts of the rocket to reduce costs. Two SpaceX boats named Miss Trees and Miss Chief are outfitted with huge nets and track the two halves of the nose cone on their way back down to Earth. The fairings contain parachutes, which help slow the descent. It's the first time the fairings have been caught by both the boats. Previous recovery attempts included fishing them out of the Atlantic Ocean for reuse. SpaceX also landed the first stage of the rocket on a barge at sea so it can refly the rocket on future launches. Stay connected with all the latest space news stories. Head on over to wmfe.org space and give me a follow on Twitter. I'm at SpaceBrendan. NASA's Mars Perseverance rover launches to the Red Planet next week. On board is a suite of science experiments, including the Mars SuperCam. It's mounted on the top of the rover and will examine the Martian soil with a camera, spectrometer, and... Wait for it, a microphone. This is the voice of Roger Weeds speaking to you through the Mars microphone on SuperCam. That's right. For the first time, we'll be able to hear what the red planet sounds like. But the microphone has a practical purpose, to help see what the planet is made out of. That voice you just heard through the SuperCam mic is Roger Weeds, and he joins us to explain just how that works. First, he begins the conversation talking about what the SuperCam is and what it will do when it lands on Mars early next year. Yeah, I'll start with NASA's description, which is that it is a Swiss Army knife of instruments. Uh, It is the remote-sensing compositional instrument for the rover, but uh, NASA used that term because it does a lot of different things. Um, I, uh, I like to use the analogy of, you know, in the early 2000s you had a cell phone, well, now you have a smartphone, and it does many, maybe uh, 10 more things than your, uh, your original phone did. And uh, so it's a lot like that. We had uh, fielded the ChemCam instrument on uh, the uh, Curiosity rover, which did uh, compositional uh, measurements uh, of elemental composition and images. And SuperCam just does a lot more. It does uh, five or six techniques. And what, what's kind of the... Um 
how will SuperCam fit into the Mars 2020's um, overall science um, goals? Um, what's it going to be looking for, and how is this going to uh, kind of propel the science that's coming back from Mars? SuperCam is kind of the eyes, ears, and nose of this rover. Uh, it can work from a long ways away to do reconnaissance uh, and uh, really check what is uh, what kind of a destination this rover would like to set for, uh, say, some rocks that it sees in the, in the distance. And uh, so it can do uh, long-distance reconnaissance both by imaging and by infrared spectroscopy, which gives us some of the mineral content of the rocks that we're seeing. And then as we get closer, it can use more techniques to actually uh, investigate and interrogate those rocks. So then it goes to not just infrared and imaging, but it also goes to a technique called Raman spectroscopy that gives us other insights into the mineralogy. And then it does the same thing that ChemCam has been doing for eight years on Mars, and that is to use uh, powerful laser bursts to... uh, to blast a little bit of material and get the uh, elemental composition of the rocks as well. And then besides that, it even takes uh, a microphone and listens to the sound of the of the blasts as we shoot that rock. Uh, yeah, that's definitely is what I'm most interested about is that microphone. But before we get into that fun stuff, um, so this is basically an instrument that's looking to identify samples on the surface of Mars, like like rocks or, or pieces of dust, and it uses a, a slew of instruments to try to figure out what these things are made of. Am I, am I getting that right? That's right, Brendan. We're, uh, we're really looking at it from different angles, so to speak, in uh, mineralogy, elemental chemistry, and also the physical properties of the rock, as well as what it looks like uh, before we go in with other instruments or in tandem with those other instruments. Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of it, it fits into that goal of Mars 2020 to, to kind of search for for signs of life, right? You you got to figure out what these things are made of and see if you can find the the evidence that there was maybe water or or materials that that could help support life. Is that is that also correct? Yes, the Mars 2020 rover is all about collecting samples that we plan to return to Earth, and so we want to get the most exciting samples in the cache. And uh, SuperCam is really about looking for the excitement on Mars to try to bring it back. And uh, so if there is something that has organic materials in it, uh, we're going to try to uh, investigate and and find that and uh, identify it so that it can be sampled with the drill, coring drill that we'll be bringing, uh, getting those samples for eventual return to Earth. Now, Roger, I'm, I'm a radio guy here, so, of course, I'm excited about the microphone. Um, tell me about the microphone that's going to be on board. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned it's going to be listening for these little blasts. What is that going to tell us uh, about uh, these samples? Brendan, these, uh, this microphone is not too unusual of a microphone. It was actually... Um, it's been around for a while, and it was actually on two previous Mars missions that never actually used it. Uh, one mission crashed upon landing, and another one just uh, was not uh, used for other uh, risk-averse uh, reasons. But uh, this uh, Knowles microphone is uh, sitting right on the uh, uh, the front end of the rover's mast, right where the, the window is that the, that the uh, SuperCam telescope looks through. And uh, so it is there to listen 
to anything interesting, first of all, on Mars. And so we, we should hear wind sounds. We should hear sounds of the rover. We might hear things that we never expected to hear. And so that's going to be interesting to find out. And then regarding the, the little laser blasts, uh, it will be listening for those. It turns out that if we do a series of laser shots or bursts, a burst of laser uh, 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 beams, then uh, it will, uh, from uh, studying the difference between the first one and the last one of a number of shots, we can see if, if the laser is actually profiling into the rock very far or if it's just kind of touching the surface. And by doing so, we'll, we'll learn about whether the rock is uh, soft or hard, for example. And that's pretty important this, uh, for several reasons. One is it, it tells us about the, um, the science of the rock, the geology of the rock from how hard it is. But it also helps the rover because uh, the drill on the rover is able to drill rocks that are up to a certain hardness. And beyond that, it, it can't penetrate. And we found out with the Curiosity rover that uh, we, there are times when the drill was not able to penetrate the rock. That takes a lot of time to set up. We actually spend about a week of the rover's time or longer driving up to an area, uh, debating, deciding where to, where to do the drill sampling, uh, sort of triaging different analysis techniques before we actually try the drill. And by that time, we've used a lot of precious time on Mars uh, for that drill to not work is, uh, is, is not very helpful. And so if we can tell the team this rock is soft enough, you can drill it, that's going to be very useful to them. And Roger, you can tell that by just listening to this laser beam hit this, uh, this sample? That's right. There's a few other complications with respect to other things that will uh, allow the laser to, to, to uh, profile in deeper, but the main thing is just how hard the rock is. So it's, uh, it's a good indicator of that. Has, has this technique ever been used before, uh, or is this kind of something cutting edge that, that you all are using? Well, there's been some uh, science uh, looked at uh, with uh, uh, interrogating surfaces and uh, listening to the sound that comes back. Uh, and so all of that's been done on Earth, of course. And um, some of it to uh, say, can you shoot a laser at a box and see if it's full or empty? And the answer is yes, by listening to it. Um, and uh, then more recently, actually with the ChemCam instrument, before we launched it off to Mars, uh, we were some, some part of the team was actually using a microphone to tell when the laser beam was in focus or when it was out of focus. And so we were starting to use the, the microphone already, thinking to the future how we might actually use it on Mars. And so we got our opportunity. It's great. Roger, can you kind of describe, you said it's a pretty standard microphone. Like, what does it look like? How big is it? Um, where is it on the rover? Yeah, the, it's on a, on a tiny little boom. Uh, it's only about an inch long, and it's up on the top of the rover. Uh, if you see pictures of uh, any of the Mars rovers, they have uh, a box up at the top. And the uh, ChemCam on Curiosity was a ChemCam instrument. On uh, Mars 2020, it'll be the SuperCam instrument that actually lives or sits inside that box. And it's got a, a, a large sort of four-and-a-half-inch window and uh, that's where the telescope looks out. That's where the laser beam shoots out of and where we get the light back in to uh, for sensing. And the microphone is just, uh, just down into the left of that big window. It just sits right there. What kind of testing um, have you done here on Earth of, of this 
technique. I mean, do you have like audio recordings of, of this? Have you listened to it work on Earth? Yes, uh, we have done some work, uh, of course, just in air normally, and uh, just uh, in some senses to make sure the microphone is working, uh, and also some uh, experiments. And then um, there have been a number of experiments that have been done at uh, Mars pressure. Now, the Mars atmosphere is only 1% as thick as the Earth's atmosphere. And so that actually presents a problem for sound. It has a hard time propagating through such thin air. And so uh, it it travels only about two-thirds as fast on Mars or in Mars uh, pressure, at Mars pressure, as it does on Earth. So it goes really slow. And uh, it attenuates very rapidly. And so we're expecting that we'll be able to hear those little little laser blasts out to about uh, 12 to 15 feet away, but probably not farther away, uh, just because that sound is uh, it's really hard to hear a long ways away. You could not hear somebody scream from a block away on Mars. And uh, so that's just uh, that's life on Mars. But uh, what we what we will be able to hear is is are, are things that are close up, and uh, it's going to still give us a, just a whole new world of information from this new sense that we will have on Mars. Mm-hmm. And I mean, other than using this um, kind of in tandem with with the laser to kind of figure out you know what this stuff is made out of, you mentioned that this microphone will be able to pick up you know ambient noise around the rover and, and noise from the rover. How exciting is that? Well, we're uh, we're waiting to find out. How, uh, what, what it will sound like to hear the rover uh, driving or using its arm or doing other things on Mars. Uh, another uh, sort of curiosity, uh, pun intended, is that uh, when this uh, rover turns its mast side to side, if the wind is blowing from one direction, what will, it sa- will the wind sound differently turning one direction than another? And so there's a, a lot of different little experiments that we're going to be setting up at the beginning of the mission to really find out what it is like to have an ear, literally, uh, on the top of this rover on Mars. Scientists have used um, kind of makeshift microphones on, on other science equipment on, on Mars, like like InSight, I'm thinking uh, about. But this is going to be the first time that we're actually going to hear what it would be like if, if you had human ears on Mars, right? Yes, Brendan. Uh, I think, first of all, the, um, the Huygens probe on Titan had uh, some kind of a microphone device that they could listen as it was uh, entering the atmosphere of, the, uh, of Saturn's moon Titan. Um, but uh, on Mars, uh, the InSight mission has a low-frequency sensor for the part of the seismometer, and they've been able to uh, effectively uh, hear a few things, sort of in quotes, there and uh, so it's uh, given us a little bit of uh, insight into what things might start to sound like, but it's not really the human hearing range. And the microphone on uh, SuperCam will go from 50 hertz to uh, to 10 uh, to uh, sorry to 100 kilohertz, and that's a nice range for our ears, for telephones, for anything acoustic that we have here on Earth. And so it's really going to give us realistic sounds from Mars, uh, albeit with the, uh, the with the strangeness of the atmosphere of Mars. Aside from it, this just being really cool, um, and also being able to help with um, uh, kind of examining these uh, these rocks and, and and bits that you'll be looking at, I, I get the sense that this will make kind of your analysis a little more efficient, right? Because you're, you're you don't have to go up to a physical sample to find out what it is. Do you think that you'll be able to do more with, with the SuperCam than you have with other instruments that have come before it? There's no question that this is a next generation 
of instrument, and so we're going to uh, be able to detect or learn more about the rock before we even get as close to it as previously. So, yes, and uh, so part of that is sort of the additions that we have of this instrument relative to uh, ChemCam uh, or to other previous instruments. And uh, so mineralogy is a big one. We can study whether uh, rocks have clay minerals in them, which uh, is much more about the story of habitability and possible uh, uh, signs of, uh, of ancient life um, before we even get to the rocks, uh, rocks that we want to get to. So, yeah. Um, just kind of broadly speaking, what kind of things do you hope to get answers to um, from some of the data you get back from from the SuperCam? What's 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 kind of a burning research question for you? Ah, uh, well, the landing site of the Mars 2020 mission is quite different uh, in its chemistry and mineralogy than other places that we have been on Mars with the previous missions. Uh, Jezero Crater is the landing site, and it is shown from orbit that it has some magnesium carbonates in it. And uh, Mars, actually, we have found, does have quite a lot of sedimentary rocks on it. But on Earth, uh, a lot of the sedimentary rocks are carbonates. We have limestones, we have uh, various, uh, especially limestone, but other kinds of carbonate and and, uh, sedimentary rocks. On Mars, we have not found limestone, so to speak, and uh, we are expecting that by going to Jezero, we're going to find something uh, closer to that. It's a magnesium carbonate, so it's a little bit different from the calcium carbonates we see on Earth. But a big question that we have, a burning question, is why doesn't Mars have more limestone, more carbonates? It has a carbon dioxide atmosphere, We know now that it had lots of water, and so it had the ingredients that we seem to think would give it the carbonates that we see on Earth in the sediments. And yet we haven't seen them so far, but from orbit we're seeing that Jezero Crater probably has some of these. So we're looking to get clues about uh, that that real question on uh, carbonates on Mars by landing there. It's going to be not just SuperCam, but other instruments that will be uh, getting into the act with that question. So I'm looking forward to that. And um, this, um, the rover launches, lands in February of 2021. How soon can we see this uh, laser and microphone combo start surveying rocks on the surface? Yeah, so the launch is, the first day of the launch window is July 17. So that's kind of a day we're targeting. The landing date is scheduled for February 18. So just four days after Valentine's Day. And uh, it'll take a little while to start unpacking various things on this rover. Uh, it's going to change its software because the, uh, the, the computer on the rover is actually guiding the flight to, uh, all the way down to the ground. And so once it's landed, then it kind of does like a, a caterpillar to butterfly kind of thing with its software. Uh, it changes software completely from the, the flight aspect to the landed aspect of the mission. After that happens, after it deploys the mast and a few other things, then we're going to be starting uh, SuperCam probably uh, early on with the uh, images and the microphone and then with the laser uh, just a few days later. So I'm, I'm expecting that by uh, two to three weeks in, uh, if all goes well, 
that we would start to have some some very good uh, bits of data that we can share with people. And Roger, is this your first instrument you are sending to Mars, or are you a pro? Uh, so uh, I actually led the uh, ChemCam investigation that uh, is currently operating on Mars. So I've had I've had two jobs for the last uh, number of years. Uh, one being uh, running the ChemCam instrument, which is a laser instrument uh, uh, that looks a lot like SuperCam on the Curiosity rover, and then developing SuperCam at the same time. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. And um, does it get any easier? I'm, sh- I'm sure ChemCam was a, a very nerve-wracking experience um, launching and, and waiting for it to land. Uh, does it get easier with uh, SuperCam now that you've done it successfully? Yeah, there's there's certainly aspects of SuperCam that are that are much easier because of the fact that we have uh, a lot of experience on Mars uh, via ChemCam and the previous rover mission. It always works that way. I should also add that uh, uh, I was on a previous mission um, called Genesis that uh, had a uh, two and a half year mission out in deep space and then came back to Earth, and that one actually took a very hard landing in the Utah desert. And so it has uh, made me paranoid of, of the landing aspect of these missions ever since. But uh, you never know. It's always a big risk. We've been speaking with Roger Weens. He's the principal investigator of the Mars 2020 SuperCam and joins us from the Los Alamos National Laboratory. Roger, thanks for speaking with us. It's my pleasure. Still to come, how to get a look at the latest cosmic comet display. Are We There Yet is back in a minute. You're listening to Are We There Yet? I'm Brendan Byrne. The comet Neowise is now dazzling the night sky. As the comet races past our sun, it's developing a photogenic tail, making it visible in the sky. So how can we see this? And why do scientists love when these things pay us a visit? Our panel of expert scientists from UCF join us this week to answer those questions. Jim Cooney kicks off the conversation. Uh, is not... You know, it's not going to blow your socks off with the naked eye, but it is uh, very visible with a pair of binoculars, even a pair of cheap, small binoculars. Uh, I was at, we, we were, my wife and I went out and we were able to see this thing. Um, and my wife had like an, you know, an audible gasp when she first found it in the pair of binoculars. There's, you know, comets are fairly common things, of course, but obviously visible comets in our skies. There's just not that many in your lifetime that you're going to get to see. I, I can't really remember when the last one, maybe Hale-Bopp or something like that was the last really great one we had in our skies, but uh, it's not that often. And so this is a very cool thing to see. And once you find it with the binoculars, you can't actually see it with your naked eye. Although again, from the naked eye, it just looks like kind of a, a little smudge. It's, it's, it's a little hard to see, like I said, first right off the bat, because it's close to the sun still, which means that you're just seeing it just before dawn, and the skies are, of course, not completely dark in the eastern part of the sky just before dawn, but uh, it is very impressive. So I, I do suggest that the listeners head out there and, and find that thing. Get up early. It's just one day. It's worth it because you don't see too many of these things in your lifetime. And if you're not an early riser, I think so. I think soon it's going, and later this month, it will start appearing in the evening sky. That's good because I'm not an early riser. <laughs> Jim, you mentioned that it, you know, it, it's tough to see because it's it's close to the sun, but because it's close to the sun, makes it easier to see, right? Right, like this, right. In a sense, the... it's this it's this catch twenty two, right? So it's close to the sun, which means that the skies are a little bit bright, but the sun is, of course, the thing that is activating the comet, causing the the gases in the comet to sublimate off and uh, you know basically evaporate off and carry dust with them and create this beautiful tail that we can see uh, in in our binoculars. 
And obviously, the further away from the sun it gets, the potentially smaller that tail gets, uh, but also the darker the skies get um, uh, around the comet. So we're hoping that it's kind of it's it's been more impressive than we had thought. Not more impressive than we had hoped, but more impressive than we had thought. It's undergoing a bit of an outburst uh, currently, and we're hoping that that outburst continues for a while as it moves further away from the sun, and then it could be even more spectacular. Right, because there's there's some science in that gas, right? You you, you want to look at that and, and see what the comet's made of, right? That's a great window to see what the thing is made of. So the the sun sort of rips the comet apart a little bit and spreads its material out across the sky and uh, lets you analyze some of those uh, uh, constituent volatile compounds that the comet is made of because it formed far out in the solar system, far from the sun where it's colder, comes in, heats up, uh, the gases, uh, the, the ices evaporate, and uh, it gives us clues about uh, what the composition and, and the early evolution of the solar system was like. Uh, is this comet any particular threat to us? No. <laughs> yeah. uh, not no. this one. Not, not this one. one. No. no. <laughs> not you're today. Safe. You're safe for now, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been, so there's been a couple in the last six months or so, year, I guess, there's been a couple of other comets that we were hoping um, that we saw coming in and we're going to make close approaches to the sun. So we were hoping they were going to be um, bright like this in the sky, but they ended up getting completely ripped apart uh, by the sun. So on their close approach, they pretty much uh, d- basically disintegrated. Um, and so we weren't able to see these really spectacular uh, views with their tails, but this one made it. So it's actually already had its closest approach to the sun. It's on its way out now. Um, mm-hmm. So it's actually made it around there, and and now we're able to see um, these this really awesome image. And even the astronauts on the space station have been able to to get some awesome, beautiful shots of it. And they have a lot of different sunrises and sunsets to look at. So <laughs> yeah, there's one cool thing that you can notice if you do go out and check this out for yourself. The tail of the comet points directly away from the sun. This is always the case. The tail of a comet points away from the sun, which is counter to the intuition of a lot of people. They think that the tail points away from the direction that's moving, but it's currently moving away from the sun and the tail is pointing away from the sun. So you can kind of see that cool thing for yourself when you look at it tomorrow morning or whenever you get up. Although you won't, you won't see it moving. No, you won't see it moving, but you'll see the comet and you'll see the tail pointed up away from the sun, which is... So, of course, yeah, you you can't see which direction it's moving, but you'll have to take our word for it that it is, in fact, moving away from the sun currently. And are there any uh, any exciting comets scheduled to fly by uh, later this year that we should be keeping an eye on? If, if we become an expert at, uh, at uh, tracking NEO-wise, what else should we look for? Well, the exciting thing about comets is they're uh, hard. They're not the, the, the new ones are not scheduled, right? The the big exciting comets are ones that we see on the very first uh, approach to the sun. And so uh, we haven't seen them before. We discover them and then they come in close and they're uh, these big spectacular comets. The comets that are on a sort of more periodic schedule um, don't tend to come as close to the sun or not as spectacular in the sky uh, and are useful scientifically, but don't put on the kind of display that this one is doing. That was UCF scientists and hosts of the podcast Walk About the Galaxy, Addie Dove, Jim Cooney, and Josh Caldwell. You can get their podcast Walk About the Galaxy wherever you get this show or visit walkaboutthegalaxy.com. If you got a question for our panel, send us an email or are we there yet at WMFE.com. 
radio.org. And if you listen to us on the radio, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can find it on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are We There Yet? is a production of WMFE and WMFV. Editorial guidance this week from Matthew Petty. Our director of content is Steve Yasko. Support for Are We There Yet? comes from our listeners. You can help us out by making a donation at WMFE.org. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. 